This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Another week is upon us and no football again. It's the close season, which means only one thing. Yes, we're reliving another player's stag's story. And what a story we've got for you today. Joining me is Mr Nathan Edge again. Nath, great to see you uh, once more. Great response to the Andy White episode last week. All of the stuff which he spoke about was great. We've been busy planning stuff and continuing to plan stuff. And do you know what? I'm actually really, really excited actually for, for people to hear today's episode too. Yeah, absolutely. We've we've tried to stick around sort of a, a similar era, maybe just a few years on. Um, you know, we've we've done a lot of recent players, haven't we? Sort of um sort of last season. So we've tried to roll back the years a little bit, um, as far as as, as as we can, I guess, for our for our age. But um, yeah, we've uh, we've got a cracker actually, and and you wouldn't necessarily expect it to be, you know, no, no disrespect to to, to Adam, you know, he's not had that many years with us. You won't think there'd be that many stories, but actually, there's some real crackers in there. Yeah, there certainly are, and there's there's two in particular which you guys are very much going to enjoy. Let's say, um, I'll give you a few key words: toilet, Carlton Palmer corner flag i think i think that's make of that what you will I, the, the best way to do that is you know by getting stuck into the episode uh, before we do that though as well we have to also say that you know, whilst there were some cracking funny stories as well i was really surprised at how deep he went with some of the other stuff as well none of that was rehearsed or scripted or, or prompted in, in any way but he was re- again really open and honest about life after football and you know that little thing we don't think about necessarily as supporters Nath of a young player living miles and miles away from home yeah we I think sometimes as supporters you you kind of you're guilty aren't you you forget that they are still people they are still you know human beings who have uh, you know do have feelings they do come to clubs and uh, you know differently they're moving across the country from you know sometimes hundreds of miles um yeah and usually they're, they're pretty young you know you, you look at footballers um and you're looking at between sort of 18 to, to 30 when they're moving around clubs a lot of the time so uh so it's a big thing for them and i think as supporters you sometimes forget that you just expect them to go out there and and play each, each week um and to to put all that to one side and that's that's easier said than done um so to uh, again, like I say, we, we, no, no no prompting or sort of uh, dress rehearsal for that. To yeah, you know, he did say 
it's something that he hasn't really spoke about that much. Uh, you know, certainly when he's going through that time at, at football. So to uh, to open up a little bit, you know, I think it's an important topic to be discussed these days. I know Andy last week obviously spoke about it a lot about him, and certainly because he he kind of works in that profession a little bit now as well. Um, you know, did speak about it a bit then, but you know, it's, he clearly wasn't alone in in his time. You know, his difficulties at that, that point. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, before we delve into the episode and, and, and everything around that as well, uh, just a couple of little bits of any other business you like. If this was a meeting, we'll, we'll get those in there. Uh, we are working very, very hard on uh, our live main charity event. Um, we are still asking for your um, opinions and things like that on how you want the event to work. Lots of you have um, submitted your information so far, so if you've done that, that's great. If you haven't, the link is in the description to do that. It's literally four questions, and it will just help us put together a corker of a line event with uh, of a live event with a true Stags legend, uh, which we'll be doing hopefully uh, sometime in um, July, maybe early August. More on that to come. Also, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today throughout the 2021-22 campaign, here at Mansfield Matters, we're going to be raising money for Mind, the mental health uh, charity, of course. And if you want to do that and you want to support us, maybe you, you know you just want to give a quid or something like that. We've set up a coffee account, which is a great way to do that, um, to make donations sort of ad hoc, whatever you like. Minimum is a pound. Uh, please do uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, the link is in the description. It's www.ko-fi. Dot com forward slash MTFC matters. Any donations are greatly appreciated. We'll be making donations sort of at set points during the season. The first time we'll be donating uh, will be at the start of the campaign. So if you've enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy it, then do go and donate there. And of course, uh, keep a lookout for our live event details um, as well. Shall we get into it, Nate? Shall we? Uh, shall we dig into his stag story? Absolutely. Let's do it. We're going to be talking now then to a man who had around eighteen months with the club. Had a difficult start because he was coming, brought in to replace a Stags legend. Did relatively, relatively well with us on the pitch. And by the end of it, you'll be thinking that he deserves a knighthood. Figure that out for yourselves. We'll see you at the end. There was about two minutes to go and um, I was going to take a corner. And basically, as I took the corner, don't know how I've done it, never done it since, I kicked the corner flag, but also... My foot also hit the ball. So me being just daft, you know, I've gone to pick the corner flag up. But the opposition player has noticed I've kicked the ball. He's picked the ball up, kicked it downfield, and they've scored to make it 2-0, right? Well, you can imagine I'm holding his corner flag. <laughs> He's under pressure, right? I should have lumped the corner in, and we're now 2-0 down, right? And uh, we get in the changing room, and He's basically having a right ranting rave, like, you know, and he's saying, like, all right, well, you know, he's, he's obviously under massive pressure, and he says, right, I think it's time to resign, because he says, when one of my footballers, who's a professional footballer, kicks a corner flag, that tells me my time as a manager is done, right? And he, and he walks out. And I think he didn't get on well with a couple of lads in the dressing room at the time, you know, and um, I think the system manager or the physio at the time came in and went, he's actually announced it on the radio, you know. Well, I felt terrible because obviously I, I actually got on well with him, you know, and he gave me a lot of game time, but the actual people who didn't get on with him, who really probably wanted him out, were all coming and jumping on me and, and sort of said that, that it's that it that it was me that got him the sack, you know what I mean? And I thought, well, that's not good, like you know what I mean. 
So I don't know, mate. I think for everyone I mean, listening, watching of this podcast, I think yeah. you've just become an honorary knight of the realm. Because <laughs> yeah, if the fans <laughs> knew that at the time, they'd be in the dressing room jumping on you as well. I well, think. that's it. Me and Adam Rundle, I got caught in form of the sack. That's great. <laughs> Another episode of Stag Stories, and this time we're going back to the mid-noughties. We're really looking forward uh, to this one. It's the sort of seasons where, for Mansfield Town on the pitch, it wasn't really too much to shout home about, but there were a few players in that particular era which really did stand out and impress, one of which was a flying winger by the name of Adam Rundle. One and a half seasons with the club, also uh, helped us out in the FA Cup, in which he got to play at the stadium of his boyhood's team, Newcastle United. So uh, we're delighted to be joined virtually by Adam um, in this episode. Adam, uh, hello, welcome to Thanks very much, first and foremost, for, for giving up your time. I know that things are getting very, very busy for you uh, nowadays, now that uh, lockdown is over and people are allowed to go out again. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. So, like I said, like you said, it's getting a bit busy. Obviously, bars opening up and... I do a little bit of singing around the northeast now in the clubs and things like that, and sort of book now out now really show wise until sort of the end of September. So it's uh, it's going really well on the gig gig side, you know. It's quite a, a fun thing that you do. That I mean, last week we spoke to a, an ex striker of the club um, from before your time, and he done you know a number of different jobs outside of football he got into tried to be a policeman tried to be a fireman ended up working for the council and you've gone down a bit of a different career path as well haven't you yeah i mean to be honest i'm i'm sort of at a pharmaceutical plant now um where we're making sort of the ingredients that go into cancer drugs and alzheimer's and basically anything you can think of drug wise that helps people out um our sort of factory and plant uh makes makes it for them you know so um yeah and then obviously part times part time really is because uh, i can't entertain now as as a footballer um i've sort of just gone into the singing singing side as well you know yeah absolutely it's it's uh, an interesting one that thing i mean you always hear about um you know the initiations of football clubs and things like that so you being a singer and that in the clubs and everything, I imagine um, that your initiation was, was top level. Is that where it first started for you? That the singing sort of uh, the singing side of it. Yes, I, I suppose so. I think um, obviously any any sort of night out that sort of the boys had, or if there was a karaoke or a mic anywhere, I sort of used to just grab it and have a sing song and sign up for a new club. Initiations was not a problem, you know. I used to just give them a song and. I suppose really um, when I left football, I did a lot of karaoke um, sort of with my dad. My dad um, back in the day had his own show in Blackpool and things like that, you know, and and he's, he's still quite a good chanter now, you know. Um, he's 82 now, but he still likes to have a good sing song and me and him used to go around sort of the bars and with spare time and having a have a good chant on the karaoke system and I had one or two people sort of saying, oh, are you in a band or you are you got your own show? And I sort of, uh, from there, I thought, ah, shall I give it a go? Yes, I know I hummed and hard for a bit and I sort of took the plunge for about a year and a half ago and uh, I'm pleased I did really because it's gone uh, really, really well. Fantastic. Where do you see it going? Do you see that becoming like a full-time thing for you or are you just happy to sort of you know do it on the side for a bit of pin money and, and just sort of just enjoy the you know the, the relaxation side of it 
Um, well, the age, the agency um, that I sort of go under, the, all the singers are, are full time with them. I'm sort of the only part time singer because obviously the job that I've got um, is an important job. Um, it's a stable job, um, and as you know, with COVID, obviously bars and lockdowns and things like that, it's 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 not stable yet, you know. And whether or not I go down. Uh, later along in the line and do it full time only time will tell but obviously I enjoy the pharmaceutical side and, and it's quite a, a a pleasing thing knowing that the things I do at work can help others you know and maybe save people's lives so it's probably something that I want to stay in probably up until I need to retire you know yeah absolutely um, and then I guess it will we'll see where it takes you, you know cruises everything there's endless possibilities with, with that side of thing <laughs> uh, I've got one question for you though on, on the music side of things what was your initiation song can you remember when you were at Mansfield specifically what was your initiation song uh, and if you can't remember what would what would be your your go-to if you were to to join a new club now you know the the, the dink of the glass would go you'd be made to stand on the chair and belt a song out what would be your go-to um, see, I, I've been brought up, obviously, with the old-style songs, you know, the songs from the 60s and 70s and things like that. So a song that I really like to sing is a, a song called Run Around Sue. Um, it gets everybody. A lot of people, even the younger younger generation, sort of have heard of the song, you know, and it gets people singing along and clapping their hands. So anything sort of uh, quite jolly, but, yeah, probably Run Around Sue. Nathan's got a big smirk on his face and the reason for it is Dad is also a massive Stags fan he's really into his Motown and that isn't he Nate so I can imagine um, you know Adam and, and your dad having a right good laugh probably going going back to that era um, I mean I'm, I'm going to hold my hands up I might have to uh, YouTube that song afterwards I mean I might know it once I hear it but <laughs> off the top of my head I'm not so sure but uh, but no I think it's um, you know I, I love hearing this you know I think a lot of people are going to obviously tune in to this podcast to obviously hear about the football side but for me I really love to hear about what what players are up to after their careers because really think about it football careers are pretty short aren't they so mm. um you know and it's a big thing about yes but certainly a discussion points recently amongst footballers uh, about you know a career path after football it's being thought of a lot more now so I always find it interesting to find out you know where especially ex-stags players what's what's happened there you know, so where are they now so Yes, yeah, um, interest. I think the first the first singer we've had on. Yeah. I know John Dempster fancies himself as a rapper, doesn't he? But um, first singer we've definitely had on here so far. Yeah, absolutely. We've not quite, we've not quite had him on yet, but uh, we'll, uh, I'm sure we will at some point. But I don't know. I, I think that's a, a real different of, of a, a choice. But I guess you know the confidence of being a footballer and playing in front of you know thousands of fans. I guess it's quite transferable, really, into you know going into getting yourself out on stage and. Uh, you know, and, and basically doing the same thing, which is you're there to entertain, essentially. Well, that's it. I mean, obviously, playing football, I sort of had a, on, on a Saturday, you, you live for the Saturday as it gives you that little buzz to entertain a crowd and things like that. And sort of when you retire, it gets taken away from you a little bit. And I think when you're used to entertaining people or in a sort of that environment, you, you miss sort of... Entertain, the entertainment side, you know, it's what obviously footballers are born to do is try to entertain and make, make people happy. And okay, it's not a football, it's not the football side, and it's not entertaining people on a football pitch. And okay, if there's only three or four people in the bar, there's 100 people in the bar, you know, uh, the eyes are on you singing wise. And like I say, I mean, to, to be honest, when, when people retire, I found it hard 
um, when I retired to to find a, a job, you know, and, and a career path that you, you think football is going to last, oh God, forever, you know, and it doesn't. I took the decision, you know, um, to come out at 30, probably a little bit earlier than than what what footballers sort of do. I mean, because obviously the age is sort of bracketed as 35. Um, the time at 30, I knew I was never going to play in the Premier League and I'll always have to find a job and I sort of come out and, to be honest, four or five months down the line, a lot of people who I played football with didn't think I w- I'd made the right decision. I should have stayed in football and I thought that myself, you know, a lot of the savings were starting to dwindle away a bit and you were trying to pay bills and trying to find a job and the CVs I handed out, people were saying, well, you've only played sport, you know, and I looked at the coaching side and the coaching side didn't really pay a lot of a lot of money, you know, and um, I sort of ha- had a bit of a panic up four or five months down the line and this this company sort of threw us a lifeline and um, six six years into it, I'm having this, these people now who are retiring at 35 phone us up and they're looking for jobs and they're actually saying, well, actually, you've probably done the right thing because now I'm, I'm, I've got a, a job that's stable and it pays good money um, and I've sort of formed a new a new career path and they're all now, once now leaving football, sort of trying to find find a way in life again you know and they're probably going to go through the same struggles that I went to went through and with this pandemic um, there's not an awful lot of jobs out there now for people you know I find it quite interesting to talk about that actually you know that you know the after football side of things because quite often like you say there's only a couple of routes that you can go that footballers tend to go down which is either try and get their hand into broadcasting or they go into the coaching side of things and for me, I, I think there's not a lot of education to, to players, especially younger players, about um, what there is after football. Because when you think about it, like you say, you stepped out of football at 30. That's a ridiculously young age to be in terms of life. When I mean, you've got you know another 30, 40, 50 years on top of that where you're going to have to work. And I think it's a very brave decision to, uh, to look at that and to step away from it. And I, I think there needs to be more of a conversation about... Um, about that, especially those players who perhaps have earned a, a, a better wage, shall we say, you know, a Championship Premier League wage, who are all of a sudden got this end, big bank account and nothing to do with the day. And I guess it just goes into things like debt and drugs and gambling and all of that side of things. And it's it's scary to think about sometimes. Definitely. Um, to be honest, you've sort of hit hit the nail on the head. I I, I saw. Sort of hard, and I played football as a professional for 13 years, and I can sort of count on one hand really how many times somebody sort of pulled us aside and said, "You know, um, have you ever thought about what's going to happen when you finish football?" There's not enough of that, and what I found is, while you're playing um, sort of football, um, the club and um, people are interested in you, in, in you they, they kind of do a, enough for you. And then once you make that decision to leave football, it, you sort of just sort of left on your own sort of thing, you know. And um, they're only interested in the next player that's coming through, you know. And and sort of you yeah, you sort of forgotten about quite quickly, you know. And you, you've sort of got a fend for yourself, you know. If you had, you know, maybe had played at a couple of levels higher, like we're saying, you know, Championship, Premiership, with you know a, a big bigger bank account shall we say you know you mentioned there earlier in your answer about 
it got to maybe six, seven months down the line and you, you were eating into your savings to pay your bills and, and that sort of thing. If you'd have you know, played at that high level and had a little bit more income from football, do you think you would have had as much desire and drive to get into paid work or would you have just sort of sat back and sort of seen what happens, waited for an old manager or an, old, an ex-player to pick up the phone and say, do you fancy coming on and being my first team coach, that sort of thing? Um, oh, I, def- I definitely would have uh, looked for paid work. Um, I've got two children. Um, I've got a mortgage. You know, that's that's the drive. You know, to make sure that you provide for them. And even if I had a healthy bank account, you know, it's. I know, obviously now, you know, it's uh, it it quite easily dwindles away. You know, so. I think I think paid work and looking for work and and sort of grafting um, is always sort of being innocent I, I mean I started off at that uh, pharmaceutical plant as a cleaner um, just to try and get me foot in the door 12 grand a year you know and it has worked out um, where now I'm onto the plant and I've progressed to the top of the chain as, a, as an operator um, but I, like you say I mean I was playing at Wembley and then within two or three years I'm putting sort of toilet roll in for, for people you know, it's quite soul destroying, you know. But I think when you've got kids and bills to pay, you sort of just sort of just go right. Let's let's just crack on and 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 do something, you know. I guess that's the the good thing, isn't it? You know, when you've got like family at home that you know you you've got to provide for and things like that. That sort of helps to battle against the mental health side of things. But I do worry and I do think about these players that that don't have families, that don't have a missus and kids to go home to, that are just sat doing nothing, especially you know, during the pandemic and things like that. So if you could give them any bit of advice in terms of what to do after football, what would you sort of say to them? Because I imagine there's a lot of your ex-teammates now, like you mentioned, who are getting to that point of there's not a club that are picking up the phone for me now this summer. There's not a trial there for me. There's not a contract. Well, just sort of just, um, I mean, the PFA pay for any course courses you want to do, you know. So while they're in football, if it's something you want to go into plumbing or just have a have a real good think of uh, sort of what you want to do when you finish football. If it's coaching, go for your coaching badges. And um, if you want to go into another line of work, the PFA are there to help you for for courses and uh, the the pay for um, the majority of courses. Just try and do it as early as you can. The young players use the PFA um, as 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 best they can while they're early. Um, I I didn't, and I know a lot of other people didn't and probably still don't they think see when you're when you're young and you're playing football every week and people are asking for your autograph it's quite easy to think that it's going to last forever um but you get to an age where you you realize that it doesn't and you probably have a little bit of a panic mental health side you know i've i've probably been there myself i mean a lot of these clubs that i played for as soon as as soon as training finished see at 12 one o'clock I'm sitting in a hotel room or I'm sitting by myself for the rest of the day and me wife and me girlfriend obviously at the time you know which is me wife now she's she's been with us since the age of 19 um she always had the stable job league 2 and league 1 clubs you know if you get two years you're happy a lot of these clubs are only offering one year deals so football can sort of just go overnight and she stayed in the northeast to work 
and I just sort of just went about uh, to, to play me football and see how long sort of my career would last. But a lot of these times I was by myself and it does play a massive part on your men- mental health, you know. Um, <clears throat> I lived for a Saturday and a Tuesday game. Um, but other than that, I, to be honest, I, I really struggled at times, you know. And I, I keep a lot of things in. Um, probably a lot of, lot of people don't know and I've never really expressed it even to family members you know my mum and dad and and my wife and I've never really said too much you know but it is hard when you're by yourself and and you're trying to sort of you've got a lot of time on on your own and there's a lot of thinking time and obviously like you say my buzz was a Saturday um, but unfortunately that buzz wasn't there for seven days a week I think it's a really brave thing to even to say that, even not to to go too much into detail, but just to sort of, you know, admit on the surface that there were times that you struggled because it's an interesting one. Because I was obviously thinking about, you know, when you came to Mansfield, and we'll touch upon that more in a minute. But, you know, you're born and bred in, in the northeast. You know, you've played for clubs up there, and then you end up joining Mansfield in the East Mid. You know, you, you mentioned things like, um, you know, your girlfriend still staying up there, being away from her. Last year there was a last season. Um, I'm sure you'll have heard it in the, in the national news. There was a Mansfield, an ex Mansfield player called Lee Collins who was playing for for Yeovil at the time. Who, um, you know, was away from family and, and things like that during the midst of a pandemic, which is hard enough. And he sadly, you know, took his own life, which is, is a sad thing. And I just think. Um, we as a podcast we try and sort of encourage people to be as open and honest as we we can we certainly have done over the last season but to hear an ex-footballer um come out and, and sort of admit there were times where you struggled and there were times where um it, it was a darker thought process I, I genuinely think even without going into too much detail that that will help so many people so that's such a great thing to do well it's more talking about now you see um back then you it it sort of still wasn't talked about, you know, and um, men in general, they try not to talk too much. I mean, I, I know now there is a lot of people now, there's there's so many people out there to, to turn to and it's more and more awareness for, for, for people now. I mean, back then there, there wasn't, it wasn't talked about like it is these days, you know, and um, I think it was just the, the times that you were on your own and there wasn't, like you see, I, I I live for a Saturday and that buzz and the entertainment and I I found it hard that it wasn't there for seven days a week. I'd finish training a lot of times on my own and I, you know sometimes to try and get that buzz. You I mean I know people have looked for drugs and drink and I probably went and and fluttered a little bit with the with the gambling side. You know to just try and get that little bit of buzz and you know yourself and gambling it just puts you even probably even in in a bit more depression you know you you kind of beat the bookies you know and um, I I know people try to go down them avenues to try and get that little fix throughout the days that that you that you you, that you try to get or that that Saturday gives you you know and um, yeah I found I found at times it's hard you know especially at Mansfield when I first went there I mean Carlisle I left home at 17 and I bought my first uh, property at 18 when I was at Carlisle and I found it fine at Carlisle. It, it sort of changed a little bit when I came to Mansfield because I lived, can you remember the the pub, the Lord Byron? Yes, yeah, yeah. Is that, it's, still, it's stand, not, is that still standing, Nate? I think oh, they knocked it down now, didn't they? Yeah, yeah they knocked it, they've knocked it yeah. down, yeah. So obviously I, I lived 
I lived there for five months um, in a little room ab above the bar and every single night there was lock-ins and I couldn't get to sleep because these people were out like drinking till three, four o'clock in the morning. Friday, where you were trying to get your rest, these people were drinking on a Friday night till six o'clock in the morning in the bar and there was no way for me to get to sleep. Um, so six months, you know, I looked at... It, it, it was a hard time living above a, a pub, but it's the things you do to try and obviously form a career. Um, and and then and then in the end, I, I bought a flat down there, which is I've still got the flat. I was down there two months ago with my daughter. Were, um, it's been rented out ever since I left Mansfield, and now it's now it's on the on the market. So me and my daughter sort of went down two months ago, and I showed her obviously Mansfield's uh, ground and little areas that I used to visit and things like that. So it was good because yeah. she's never been to Mansfield before and we sort of decked, decked the flat up and and, and and put it up for, for sale. But it was nice going back down and seeing, like I say, some of the old places. It hasn't changed at all, you know. The roads are all the same. The stadium's the same, you know. And it just brought back so many memories. I can, I can assure you that the stadium inside is a lot, lot better than what it was. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've got new owners now. So John and Carolyn Radford brought it from uh, a, con a local, local businessman who sort of brought it from the ex-chairman Mr Haslam uh, when we uh, when we were relegated and yeah they've done a fantastic job so it looks the same on the outside but honestly inside it, it's it's a world of difference so next time that you you know doing a little bit of painting the flat make sort of arrange it for a Saturday when we're at home and drop us a message and you'll have to come and catch a game with us and uh, we'll show you what, how it's <laughs> well, I'll definitely inside. come down, down for the game because obviously now that I'm on this podcast surely one of your listeners fancies uh, buying a flat office there uh, it's uh, just get in touch you know <laughs> well I do know I mean I, I I would get killed if I don't say this, but I do know a good property paralegal that can help you sell it. So uh, I'll, 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 drop you, I'll drop you the details. She's very Excellent. good, I'm told. Excellent. She's Excellent. Yeah, yeah, anyway, there you go. Uh, listen, <laughs> let's move on. I've got so many questions about living ab above the, the pub. That, ironically, now is a load of flats and houses. They, they cleared it and put houses on there. Yeah. Whose decision was it to put you in there? Because that, to me, sounds like absolute... Madness! You would not do that, would you, Nate? You just wouldn't, would you? If you were putting a staff member up, you wouldn't put like you wouldn't put them above a pub, would you? Well, I mean, these days, I think the, the clubs do have their own houses and things. But I mean, yeah. we, let's remember we are talking Keith Haslam era, so I'm surprised the already, he wasn't yeah. in a tent, to be honest. It's... Yeah, I think they had a little deal on with with the, the owner, like you know, and they had three they had three uh, sort of bedrooms up there, and I came along and. I says, look, I need somewhere to stay while I sign me deal. Is there somewhere to stop? And they were, yeah, yeah, we've we've got a deal with the Lord Byron, and sort of that was it, like you know. And we are went. Any and other I players the... there as well? Or was it Sorry, was, was there any other players there at the same time? Was it just you? Well, I think uh, the, the, Giles Cook was there for maybe a month or two, you know, and okay. and I, and I think he sort of he sort of quickly got out got out. I think he lived a little bit closer than what I did. I think it was a. Just a small. Uh, I think he ended up travelling backwards and forwards in the end, you know. But obviously, a four-hour, three and a half-hour journey for myself, it would have been madness to just keep travelling back back home, like you know. Actually, it's such a dodgy thing to do as well. It's like there's no care. It's like, what can we do that's going to cost us the, the least amount of money? That's going to be close enough to the ground for them to not have to, you know, to drive in or whatever. It's it's just absolute. Badness and I, I yeah. did. Any fans ever find out that you were staying there, or did you manage to sort of find a little back exit and, and sort of keep your head down? 
No, like nobody, nobody found out. It. To be honest, I always keep myself to myself. Even now, you know, when when people at work want to ask us stories about football, I'm very, I'm very much a closed shop. You know, I'm, I don't really uh, sort of shout from the rooftops. You know, I just keep myself to myself. I'm quite laid back and. When I went to these clubs, I was pretty much the same. You know, I finished finished training, took myself off to the room, and then that was me until training the next day. You know, and luckily I never, uh, and even now I very rarely uh, have a drink. It's 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 on an odd, odd occasion, you know. Uh, mm. So luckily, um, alcohol never influenced because obviously just a little trek down the stairs, I would have been sitting at that stool every that's, single night. That's, that's a, a start for, for trouble, isn't it? If you get the wrong player in there, I'm thinking of so many players over the years that have had like issues with that sort of thing. You put the wrong player in that environment and you, you're on a hide into nothing, which is it's just madness. Let's move on from being behind the bar. Um, you potentially could have picked up an extra few quid as a barman uh, of, of a few evenings. Um <laughs> Let's talk about how you came to sign for Mansfield. You know, you mentioned playing up in Carlisle and, and places like that as well. You were at Dublin for a while, weren't you? Were you with Cotton Palmer there? Was he was he playing then? Is that how you sort of come to come to know him? Yes. Um, to be honest, um, I was I had signed a three year deal at Carlisle, and the first two years went great. I played a lot of games. I got close to a hundred uh, football league games, um, and then. I think Carlisle went down and a new manager came in, um, Paul Simpson. And obviously he had to slash the wage budget and um, sort of I was one of them who we wanted to get off, off the wage bud, um, obviously the wage bill. And um, the old manager, Roddy Collins, who who had took us to Carlisle, he uh, ended up with a, um, a club in Ireland, uh, Dublin City. And he phoned us up and said, do you want to come over um, while you're looking for a club, you know, and help us out towards the end of the season. So because I got on well with uh, Roddy Collins and and obviously he he, he gave me a, a lot of league games. Um, I went across there to play for him, and that's when he brought in the likes of F and Cuckoo and Carlton Palmer and people like that, you know. And so I played with a, a couple of a couple of these guys, you know, who had been in the Premier League, you know, which was great. Um. And then I, I think Shamrock Rovers at the time had offered us a two-year deal because I was doing well in Ireland and I almost stayed. Um, but then Carlton Palmer got the Mansfield job and um, I sort of got a phone call and he must have been impressed playing alongside us because he says, look, I'd like to bring you to Mansfield. Don't sign for the uh, Shamrock, you know, and, 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 co- and come and play for, for me in, at Mansfield. And so that's where sort of the discussions first started off. Yeah, it's an interesting one that as well. Did he when he made the phone call to you? Did he say, "Look, I've got this great room for you. It's above a pub. It's like a minute from the ground." Because I imagine that if you just said that at that point, I imagine you'd be like, "Nah." I think I think to be honest, at the time I, I didn't care where I actually yeah. stopped. You know, I mean, coming back to England was where I wanted to be. I mean, the standard of football and playing league games. To be honest, I think you anybody who plays a football league game, I think they say you've got a 1% chance with the amount of people that play football. So I was lucky enough to play almost, well, almost 300 games in the football league. So very lucky, you know. And um, <clears throat> When I got there, you obviously had the likes of Wayne Corden, um, who was in my position. But I think Corton Palmer had sort of been brought in to try and slash the wage budget. I think a lot of the players that they had there were on big, big wages from the time I think they were in League One. 
And uh, I think he's seen me as a replacement for to get Wayne Corden off the wage bill and sort of uh, put me as as the left uh, mid midfield spot. You know, probably on a little bit less money than than what Wayne was. But I think he soon realised, obviously, because I'd played a hundred games, that I wasn't going to take a hundred, two hundred pound. That he mm. thought that I was just going to come back and play for you know. So we had a little bit to and fro and to get to get the right deal together. Um, there was a few little uh, huffs and puffs from him, but uh, in the end, it all worked out. How aware were you of his relationship with the chairman at the time? Because um, I don't know if you're, but his appointment was very, very controversial among Stags fans, and um, I think you were. I think it's fair to say one of the lucky ones that by you know your performances won the fans round because Wayne Corden was a, a an absolute fan favourite. Fans yeah. loved him and adored him. And things yeah. like that. How aware were you of, of the relationship between uh, Carlton and, and Mr. Haslam? Um, to be honest, I didn't know anything about the relationship that they had. You know, um, I did come in and I knew that Wayne Corden was a massive fan's favourite, and I felt as though I was on a on a hiding to nothing straight away. You know, um, but football wise, when it comes to games, I was always quite confident. Um, you know. That that I would would manage to turn sort of some of the opinions round, you know. Um, but relationship wise between Carlton and Haslam, um, I didn't know. And to be honest, I mean, a lot of managers and chairmen's have have relationships. It didn't really bother us. All that all that mattered to me was just getting back in the football league and playing games again, you know. Did alarm bells start ringing when they said, "Here's your accommodation," and you walked into a bar? <laughs> Not really. I mean, to be honest, God, I must have been early twenties when I came. So uh, honestly, it was just sort of just a, a whirlwind. It, I, I suppose it, when it started, when it started uh, to become a bit of a nuisance, was obviously when they started having the lock-ins and you were up late and things like that. So, but I quickly, quickly, yes, uh, I looked for property, you know, and I got myself a flat. And luckily, it didn't last too long in the pub, you know. Let's talk about your uh, performances on the pitch. Like you said, you managed to win the fans round very, very quickly indeed. Um, 18 appearances at the, the back end of the 0405 season, because it was January when you, you joined. Uh, four goals in that season as well. Um, very difficult um, season. That I remember speaking to, to Gareth Jelliman about it, an ex, your ex-teammate, of course, and um, saying that it, it was a really good dressing room, but you could sense that there was a lot of change coming in and sometimes it, it was really hard to, to get settled. Is that something which you'd agree with? Um, all I can, all I sort of can remember from the time at Mansfield were a young squad. He, he sort of brought in a lot of young players and mm. were all just bounced off each other. You know, it was a good time. It, I mean, the Giles Coke and Simon Browns and, um, in the end, he brought Gus Ullenbeek there and, and Kevin Pressman was a good laugh, you know, and I mean, I formed a good partnership and good relationship with Gareth Jellyman, Richie Barker, you know, I mean, to be honest, really, really good players and and quite down-to-earth lads and I enjoyed it the whole the whole time, really. I thought we had quite a good side, really, and probably didn't achieve what we should have done. I think the, the, the team bonding that we had was quite good, you know. Yeah. Uh, sorry, carry on. Go on. Go on. Um, but yeah, but uh, little things, you know, like because obviously we are young squads. I remember one of the first conversations um, at the start of the one of the seasons, and Carlton Palmer had sort of said, "Look, you know, um, not all of you are going to play in the Premier League, you know." And 
you aren't all going to be sort of millionaires like me, you know. So try and come out of football with with your mortgage paid, you know. And um, I was quite taken back, back a little bit. I remember thinking at the time, I mean, I was still in in my head thinking, well, if I play well, I'm going to be in the Premier League. And he has a manager saying, well, you're not going to be millionaires like me, you know. And, I mean, mine, mine and Carton's relationship was great, but he did say the odd thing here and there that that sort of took took us back a bit and thought, oh, well, you've just took the stuffing out of a couple of the young lads here, you know? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, that. I mean, he, he's a character anyway. We know he's a character. Yes. Um, and, and to sort of, you know, say that, it, it doesn't surprise me one little bit. But I imagine you're sort of, you know, there when he's saying that. And obviously, like you say, a, a young age, 20, 21, thinking... Yeah, all right, mate. Just because you've got a million in the bank doesn't mean that I'm not going to make it. It's, it's you brought, yeah. haven't you brought me to sort of develop me and things like that. That must have been. There must have been a few younger players in that dressing room that took that the wrong way and and, and perhaps had a little stumble on that. The, the the probably was. I mean, it it. I thought it at the time, you know. But the thing was, what I was quite lucky. Um, Carlton Palmer, who brought us in, he. he, he I was one of his uh, favourites, you know, and I played a lot of games under Carlton, so I haven't got anything really bad to say about him, you know. I think he, he, he treated me well and he gave us a lot of game time. And as a footballer, OK, some, sometimes tactics and uh, conversations, you know, sometimes can be iffy from mm. sort of managers. But as a footballer, if a manager likes you, it, it doesn't really, you, you sort of just... It's it's all over your head a, a bit, you know. So and and that's what it was like. We're calling whether whenever he sort of training sessions were a bit iffy, or he said something a bit iffy, you know. I sort of quickly forgot about it because I knew I was sort of one of his favourites at the time, and I was I was going to play, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, there's a, a one little incident with, with Carton and yourself which I want to sort of clear up on because uh, again, um, Gels was really good in this story it was when Palmer left you've got a smiley face I think you can probably remember it Rochdale away you were dropped we changed system you got dropped he brought you on as a sub and then about 10 minutes later took you off what on earth was going off what, what went off from your perspective oh well I, I, I honestly don't know there like to be honest I mean I think towards that time he was panicking a little bit we weren't getting results um, I think he was obviously under pressure the fans didn't want them there, you know, and uh, I mean, to be honest, managers do strange things, you know, and uh, as a young lad, it, like you say, it did affect your confidence. And what I found in football, there's no middle ground. You're either high and you're playing well and your games kind of come quick enough or you're rock bottom um, where you form, you're dropped, managers don't like you. There's nothing in between. So your whole career, especially my career for 13 years, was up and down, up and down. Sometimes my wife didn't know what kind of um, husband she was coming home to. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't playing or I had a bad game, um, it was a nightmare for her. Um, if I was playing well, she, she knew we were going to have a good weekend. Um, but I do remember an incident. I think it was, well, I think he resigned after the game. Um, so I think it wasn't too long after he'd done that and um, I remember we were getting beat 1-0 I kind of remember the team who we were, play- who were playing against and uh, there was about two minutes to go and um, I was going to take a corner and bas- <laughs> basically as I've took the corner don't know how I've done it never done it since I kicked the corner flag right but also my foot also hit the ball so me b- being just 
just daft. You know, I've gone to pick the corner flag up. But the opposition, Priya, has noticed I've kicked the ball. He's picked the ball up, kicked it downfield, and they've scored to make it 2-0, right? Well, you can imagine I'm holding his corner flag. <laughs> He's under pressure, right? I should have lumped the corner in, and we're now 2-0 down, right? And uh, we get, we get in the change room, and... He's basically having a right rant and rave, like you know, and he's saying like, right, well, you know, he's he's obviously under massive pressure, and he says, right, he says, um, basically, I think it's time to resign, and everybody sort of looked at him, like you know, he says, because he says, when one of my footballers, who's a professional footballer, kicks a corner flag, that tells me my time as a manager is done, right, and he and he walks out. And I think he didn't get on well with a couple of lads in the dressing room at the time, you know. And um, anyway, I think the assistant manager or the physio at the time came in and went, he's actually announced it on the radio, you know. Well, I felt terrible because obviously I, I actually got on well with him, you know, and he gave me a lot of game time. But the actual people who didn't get on with him, who really probably wanted him out, were all coming and jumping on me and, and sort of said that that it's, that, it, that it was me that got him the sack, you know what I mean? And I thought, well, that's not... Good, like you know what I mean. So I don't know, mate. I think for everybody I mean, listening and watching on this podcast, I think yeah. you've just become an honorary knight of the realm. Because <laughs> yeah, if the Class. fans knew that at the time, they'd be in the dressing room jumping on you as well. I well, think. that's it. I play Madam Rundle. I got Colton Palmer the sack. That's great. Has he ever We've got a title you for, for the show there? We but... have, mate. I've, I've made a note of it. Has he, did you ever speak to him after that? Has he ever? Have you ever spoke to him after, since? Well, I've never. Honestly, I never spoke to him. And of course, he brought out the book not long ago. Yeah, and, um, I haven't read I remember, it. We really should read it. Just in yeah, case. well, well, to be honest, I, I messaged him saying, oh, "I hope the book book goes well." Like you know, whether or not he remembered us or not, you know, I thought, "Oh well, I might not even get a, a a sort of like comment back." You know, he's got quite a few followers, but he actually sent us a nice message, like you know, and saying, "Hope you're well," and and things like that. You know, so even though I didn't speak to him up until that point, he obviously was still on good terms because he did send us a nice message back. <laughs> But I did, to be honest, reply and say, oh, is that story in the book? And I never got a reply back. So, <laughs> so I don't know. It could be up in the air, you know. You'd have to get yourself I think you then realised who, who it was, you know. Yeah. Maybe it went, went, after you said that, you probably then remembered the incident and thought, hold on a minute. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. an absolute hero. I mean, from a fan's perspective, like I remember it so vividly because, yes, he resigned on the radio, which was just madness anyway. Um, but... We were obviously it was away from home and the supporters bus news filtered through of him resigning and now obviously I'm sure you picked up on it a lot of fans didn't want him um, I think mainly due to his relationship with the chairman to be fair um, and because everybody loved the old manager Keith Curl as well because we'd had relatively decent success and obviously news had filtered through everybody on the bus jumps up starts celebrating. Honestly, the atmosphere on that bus was like we'd won a bloody cup final. You've got Rochdale fans walking down the road and like looking gun at us. Like, what are they celebrating? They've just been absolutely played off the park and hammered and they're dancing and celebrating. It was, it was very, very surreal. That very, very surreal yeah. that time. But uh, I remember. I, to, to be honest, I remember uh, uh, just going off topic a little. Another little story there. Like now that we're talking about Corton, and um, obviously we used to meet at the ground, and. Um, Obviously, get changed at the ground and then head up to the training facilities that were had at the time, you know. And um, anyway, I think this 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 week I was injured. And um, anyway, 
the toilets in the dressing rooms, right at the time, were an absolute disgrace. I mean, you couldn't sit, you couldn't sit on them, even if you wanted to, like you know, for a, for a number two, like you know. So the best toilet in the whole place was the referees' room, where Colin Palmer gets sort of uh, changed, you know, for training. So I'm thinking, all right, they've all gone to training, right? Great, this is my opportunity to nip into the room and uh, I'll I'll sort of have like a number a number two, like in peace, you know, on a nice clean toilet. <laughs> and then the next thing, little did I know, he's had he's had a he's had a meeting with uh, one of the forwards and he hasn't gone to training yet. So he's called the system manager still there and he's called the physio in there and I've got this door shut, you know. And he says, right, come in. He says, I want to tell you what's going on with this meeting. Like, right. So I'm thinking, oh, what do I do? Do I knock on the door and say, <laughs> you cannot you you have this meeting. I, I'm, I'm sort of having like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in doing business. But I don't know what me and his doing. I thought, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to listen to what's being said, right? <laughs> so, so, I'm, so I'm having a number two on the toilet. And he's telling, he's told them everything that's gone on. So I know everything that's gone on in this meeting. He's 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 getting rid of the forward. The forwards broke down in his office, started crying. Um, he's he's then started naming his lineups, the people who he wants to get rid of going forward. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, actually, I should have knocked on the door and let them know because if he tries this uh, toilet now and and then it's locked, he's going to go, who's in there, like you know. And I just prayed and prayed and prayed once this meeting had finished that nobody tried the toilet. And honestly, so lucky that nobody did. They just went straight to training. But I got to know everybody who was getting getting contracts. I got to know who he was getting rid of, who he wanted to play, and everything like in that meeting. All because I wanted a number two, like you know, oh, on a nice toilet. Genius. <laughs> I mean, I've got. A, there's a few questions. I mean, imagine just sort of. Walking out. I mean, for for one, if he did say your name, at least you were in the right place. If he did catch yes. you, you were in the right place. Yeah. Um, but I think the question me and Nathan both want to know, and we've we've got to ask it because you know X amount of years has passed now. Who was the striker that that was in his office? I think it was. Uh, is it was it was it Matthew Tipton? Yes. Can you remember him? And he Matthew did leave. Now, yes. Everybody forgets about Matt Tipton because. I, Yes. I don't know what happened, but I think he was, you know, living away from home or something and really, really struggling. It's one of those things we spoke about at the top of the show, to be fair. But he came in, I remember the club paid good money for him and he just never hit the ground running. And, and then I think yeah. he went to Macclesfield in the end, which was which was weird. But uh, yeah, yeah. But let's 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 just put it out there. If he did mention my name, right, that he was going to get rid of us, right, whether or not I had finished uh, doing any way. <laughs> I would have opened that door and went, I've just heard exactly what you said, right? Get up in that office now, we're having a serious conversation, like, you know. And then God, I'll be two minutes, let me just... Oh, I mean, so so not only did you manage to get him sacked, but you was also an undercover spy as well. I mean, I'm not liking this already. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I could have told everybody in the change room, well, you're not staying, you're staying, you're not. He rates you, he doesn't rate you, but... Uh, no, I was there uh, quite been, good. I kept it to myself. You they'd know? have been like, you'd have start if you'd have said that though, all the players, they'd have been started like giving you like foods which are, uh, and drinks which are maybe got a little bit of laxative in to make you want to go a little bit more. So, you know, you're there like a regular report, like, right, he's, 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 he's in a meeting, nipping there now, get in your little space, you know. Honestly, I, to be honest, I think I was lucky enough to get away with it once. I don't think I would have gotten away with it too many times, like, yeah. you know. 
I'd have never gone back in there. I wouldn't have taken that yeah, risk. Exactly. I didn't. Honestly, I didn't. <laughs> how how long did you leave it before you left the cubicle? Because like you you've obviously got a, a, a problem there, haven't you? Of you know, if you walk out while they're in the room, they know yeah. you're going to be listening. They know you're going to know absolutely everything. So you've got to properly sweat that out, haven't you? And, and oh yeah, I mean, it was a. I, I think it was a good five minutes to be honest. And then when I did come out, I sort of like just cracked the door just slightly open to see if I could hear any voices. And when the course was clear, I sort of got out of there, like you know. Jesus Christ, that's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean. First and foremost, for him to use the referee's room as his own personal changing room and, and toilet, just that's oh, it's, it's it's mad. But that is hilarious, though that that you sort of you're in there and, and and having a bit of a spy. But I don't know. I don't know what would have been worse: getting caught or or, or I don't know, or, or him well, saying I, your name. I don't know. It's 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 something that's sort of played in my mind a lot, and even now, like thinking about it, I'm, I, I thought like imagine like I don't even know how that conversation would have went you know he's just blurted everything out in half an hour and then found me sitting in the toilet I mean I don't know how well that would have went down you know um well, I mean but, it's uh, Colin Palmer I can't I don't think he'd have shook your hand and said uh <laughs> don't worry mate you know just uh we'll catch up later I think yeah uh, yeah I, I yeah I don't think it'd I can't imagine taking it that nicely could you no 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 I definitely would have been on the transfer list let's put it that way <laughs> absolutely imagine imagine that in an interview though so uh so Carlton uh just just tell us why uh you you've you've taken the steps to place Alan Rundle on the, tr the transfer list I mean, I'm not going to attempt the accent, Nath. I was going to do it for a split second, but I'm not. Um, brummy, isn't it? I might do it later. Um, uh, just turn around and go, well, what, what happened was, um, I was having a meeting with my staff members and I find the cheeky little little girl having a number two in my, in my private toilet. So uh, that's it. Got him done. So, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Uh, if any more stories, by the way, pop up into your head whilst we're doing this, feel free to tell them because they are absolutely... Um, yeah. absolutely brilliant uh, let's move uh, briefly back to the football side of things let's stick with, with Palmer and, uh, for a second we were on the Rochdale game he's, he's quit on air um, some of the players are happy we're celebrating then Peter Shirtliff his assistant manager takes over and Gareth Jellyman said straight away um, that was the reason behind results improving straight away because they wanted Shirtley to get the job Is, is that, would that be something you agreed with? Yeah to be honest I think assistant manager is always sort of the go between between the players and the manager you know and um, I experienced it at Rochdale you know Keith Hill was the, the youth team manager um, and I signed for a manager called Steve Pogan he, he got the sack he was an ex-Mansfield manager an ex-Mansfield player as well yeah yeah so yeah. Steve Pogan got the sack and this and Keith Hill obviously got the job and because everybody really got on well with him the results improved you, you really wanted him to get the job and and the same sort of thing happened at, at Mansfield, you know, Peter Shirtliff came in and, to be honest, his coaching methods, it, it was just a a different take on what Paul Carlton was doing, you know, and um, it was, he was a breath, breath of fresh air, everything sort of just improved instant, in, instantly, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, it, like I say, I mean, I played a lot of games under Peter Shirtliff as well, you know, and uh, we got on got on really well. And as part of that run as well, you had not one but two excellent cup runs. It's very rare in a season to have a great run in the League Cup and in the FA Cup um, as well. And you certainly um, certainly did that. What do you remember about those cup runs, other than the obvious, of course, of you getting to, to play at St James's Park? Um, not, a, not a great deal, if I'm being honest. Um, 
I, I know obviously I think it was Grey's Athletic in the FA Cup we got in the second round if I can if I can remember rightly we were on yeah. TV um, so I thought at the time I hadn't been in the third round of the FA Cup you know and um, I thought God if we can get past Grey's Athletic we're in the third round and I could end up playing against Man United Liverpool anybody you know and we beat Grey's I think 2-0 and then um, I came home that weekend and sort of took took me me wife out to uh, a cinema and I says look we'll watch it we'll watch a movie this is on the Sunday and I says we'll watch a movie but I have to be back in the car for I think it was five o'clock um, so I can hear the draw you know and I think I think we well, something like ball thirty eight this is how massively I remember it you know and. Um, we got in the car just in time as the draw started and she at the time was a season ticket holder with her dad at Newcastle, you know, massive Newcastle fans there were. <clears throat> and um, I just remember seeing like Newcastle United had come out and I looked at her and I says, can you imagine if it was ball 38? Like, And then all of a sudden, ball 38, Mansfield Town, where honestly, my phone never stopped ringing. It was just absolutely bedlam in the car, we were hugging each other and to to be honest, I mean, it was just great for that occasion to happen, um, even for me parents, you know, and it, it's one of them. My dad took us everywhere, you know, um, to, to probably um, make me dream a reality. You know, he'd done a lot of miles. He's took us everywhere when I was at Newcastle United as a youngster and he's travelled everywhere. And it was great just to be able to, I mean, I mean, I've got a son now who's six, who's playing football, and he's he's doing really, really well. And I'm I'm proud as punch, even just watching him just playing for a, a team, a local team, you know. And if he gets the opportunity to go into academy and and things like that, it it, it would be great. But just to see see me dad in the stands at Newcastle United and. And playing them sort of matches, the games at Wembley, and I played in the LDV Fans Trophy final. You know, um, I'd like to think that I paid him back a little bit, because um, I mean, me and him are, are sort of like chalk and cheese, you know. And it, and it was great to repay him back, sort of in them them ways, you know. Um, so it was just a great occasion. I just remember not being happy for me, but being happy for my family and 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 the occasion that was going to happen. And I remember going to, <clears throat> I remember going to training on the Monday, and everybody was like, "Oh my God! So what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like?" And and I said to them, "I says, well, the Newcastle fans are mad. They could play eleven flies, and it would be a sellout. You know, they're just football daft. Everything's black and white. We're going to play in front of a sellout. You know." So everybody started getting excited off the back of me seeing this, and. Anyway, the day of the game came, and um, I didn't get much sleep. Obviously, excited, you know, and. Um, <clears throat> And then I remember doing the warm-up and Peter Shirtlift had obviously said, right, come off, we've got five five minutes, let's get with shin pads on and we're coming off and the stadium looked empty. So all the lads are going, well, I thought you said that they would, would have like a full house to play in front of, like, you know, and I'm like, eh, this is just not like Newcastle fans, they would go and watch anybody like play against Newcastle, you know. And by the time we'd put the shin pads on, got in the tunnel and walked out, I don't know how the stadium does it, and it, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people in bars and and they're getting the burgers or they're having the last minute yeah. toilet break. But within that five minutes, we came out and the whole stadium was packed, and all of a sudden, I just see everybody looking at us and getting giddy, going, "You were right, you were right," you know, because you you know you you, you never you don't get the you don't get too many opportunities, especially in League Two, to play in front of crowds like that, you know, and. 
Obviously, Alan Shearer equaled the record that day. Um, and I can just remember being on the pitch. I, I've watched a lot of games in the in the stand and you think the row is, is awesome. But being on that pitch, my God, I don't think... That, that, that sort of noise and... Um, in atmosphere when he equaled the record will stay with us until the day I die it was just absolutely breathtaking um, it, I just looked around and I just thought oh my god that guy's done this hundreds of times no wonder a lot of people say it's better than sex you know what I mean it was just absolutely amazing like you know I was in the Mansfield colours and I wanted to run off while and she ran celebrate with him that's how like, <laughs> I was going to ask about that I was going to ask about when he scored and like what went because Obviously, being like a, a big fan, I, I know if I like played football and played against Mansfield and like one of my favourite players had done something like that, especially like it was a local derby or something, I'd be the same. It'd be so difficult to, to re- restrain myself and things like that. So it must have been really hard for, for you to do. Yeah, it must have been really hard not to just sort of go up and just... Because you know of the occasion and, the, the, and what it means as well to equal that record. It must have been so difficult. Well, the beauty about it is... is Yes, I'm from the northeast, and I like I like all the northeast teams to do well. But I don't have a particular team. I love playing football, mm. but I was brought up watching South Shields, which is obviously my dad was the chairman of for many many years. So really, at the time, I want I was brought up watching South Shields. But following a club like Newcastle and Sunderland and getting upset when they got beat on a weekend has never been in us. And even now, really, I don't watch an awful lot of football on the TV. Um, so when he when he equal when he equalised, um, sorry sorry when he equal the 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 record, I don't get starstruck. You know, it's if I just see him as just another. He's no different to to you and me and people like that. Just because he's played in the Premier League, I know a lot of people hail him as a hero. You know, but he's 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 been lucky enough to be a fantastic footballer. But does that make him any better than sort of what? You are, or what I am. I mean, I've never been starstruck by anybody, you know. Uh, my heroes have obviously, like you say, my parents, my wife, my kids. I, I, them, them, obviously, the people who I'm uh, besotted with, but I've never been starstruck. But just the noise and the crowds, and I actually jumped. That's how, that's how loud it was. And just the feeling, just listening back and just seeing everybody celebrate, it was just an amazing experience even though would would went behind, you know. Um and for him to do that so many times and experience that, it was it, it was just it was just great to experience that one one time, like, you know, and uh, like you say, the the noise, the atmosphere in that occasion is the is the one of the like very few things that have stuck with us since I've left football and it'll be with us until the day I die that 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 uh, that one goal that he scored, you know. Absolutely, I imagine like from from your parents and your family's perspective as well. You know, to see you on the pitch playing against Newcastle, and then obviously for that moment to happen as well, it ticks every single box. Did you manage to get a shirt like at the end of the game? Did you swap with someone? Because because Joel's told us a story about um, he he never managed to get one. He tried to get Alan Shearer's, and, and Shearer completely pied him off. Well, the thing is, it's like I've just said to you, I'm not starstruck mm. by anybody, you know. So for me. I never, I never went hunting for a shirt. Um, it didn't really bother us, you know. I, I just seen them as a, as a, as a footballer that that's playing three divisions higher than me. You know, it's uh, obviously I know a lot of lads keep them from memorabilia and things like that. But I never ever went hunting for shirts. I mean, I played against a lot of Premier League players in pre seasons and cup runs as I, as my career progressed. 
and it's one thing that I never done. You know, it's uh, I, I've obviously keep the main shirts. I kept the shirt from the game, um, which is framed. Um, the the shirt that you might be able to just tell above us just is me Wembley. Yeah, is 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 me Wembley shirt when I played at Wembley for Rochdale. I've got the LDV van shirt. So me shirts that meant something on the big occasions. I had the, I had them framed, but going hunting for yeah. these shirts off other players, I never ever did. You know, so I, no, I did. Like I say, I didn't get a shirt from the game. But I do remember, obviously, the next day, because I had such a good game that day, I mean, anything that could have went right, went right for us. Yeah. You know, I, I played well against Stephen Carr. I think they ended up putting Peter Ramage out there and I, I destroyed him. And then the, in the end, I think the last 15, 20 minutes, they put Titus Bramble out there because, obviously, I was I was having such a good game. I think Shea Givens pulled off a great save. Um, and I'll just remember the next day, the, um, the papers, um, it, it was just... Nearly every Sunday paper, you know, this the Sunday Express, the news of the world, they had me as the man of the match and um, Shearer versus Rundle in the little header and it was like Shearer equal the record but Rundle came out on top and and what happened was four days later I got wind that 23 clubs were, co- were coming to watch us the next game and uh, a lot of these clubs were Premier League clubs, you know. And I think if you play football along for quite a while which obviously I did for 13 years you look back at your career and there's always one moment that you look by and people snatch that opportunity and other people miss out on that opportunity and I missed out on that opportunity because I think what happened is I, I, I stressed myself out I overthought about it and like you say the whole um mental health and things like that you know it, it plays I remember breaking out in cold sores I was stressed and I think for the next two or three games I didn't have a good game and them sort of teams were like oh well it might have been a one-off because he's playing against his boyhood yeah. team you know and I think if I had two or three good games then there's no doubt in my mind I would have been playing in the Premier League or at least the Championship you know and um, it just didn't happen like you know and it's probably the one thing that I think about playing football. Not that I have many regrets, because um, I try not to look back. Always look forward. I try and have this positive attitude now and the positive thinking, and and uh, I try not to look back at what I could have done and should I have done this. Because what will happen is you'll just mess your head up again, and uh, you make decisions. And <clears throat> you're a young lad, you know, and you're going to make mistakes. And um, just on that occasion, I think if I had one or two good games after that Newcastle game, I think I would have been sitting here having a different conversation with you, you know. I think genuinely, though, things do happen for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. And, you know, like you say, it, it's really important not to sort of look back too often and beat yourself up over those moments because doing that gets you absolutely nowhere. You're not going to change it. And I think you, you've got that sort of attitude of, uh, which I think is really good of, I accept what it was. I enjoyed the moment. I'll always cherish that moment, and and you know what will be will be because you still, you know, had a, a good career on after the back of that. You know, cup finals, all of that that stuff as well, which is which is great. And you're you're in the place you are now, which is absolutely fantastic. Oh yeah, I mean, like I see my son now, who's obviously having his journey in, in football. You know, I've got a, quite a few games recorded on Sky, which we'll watch back at times. You know, a couple of YouTube clips with goals on and. 
I've got these amazing memories that a lot of people don't experience. You know, I had the opportunity to travel all over the country to play football in front of thousands of people, you know, and uh, and a lot of people who are especially supporters of the lower leagues know, know of me, you know, and um, so I'm quite fortunate in that respect, you know, that I got to it. To, to do something that a lot of people would have loved to do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to move on to, to something a little bit different now. Towards the sort of end of, of that season, sort of midway through, um, there was a bit of a, um, a tragic incident, if you remember it. Um, Peter Shirtliff is the manager. He's brought in a goalkeeping coach um, called Peter Wilson, uh, Shrewsbury away. Um, he ended up passing away during the warm-up on the pitch. Do you remember much about that? Well, I don't... Well, I do remember it, yes. Um, t- to be honest, it, it's um, it's it was one of them. Uh, to be honest, I think the whole journey on the way home. I don't think anybody spoke to to, to one another. Like I think everybody was just in shock. Um, I didn't have the opportunity to, to see even hello to him. Like you know, I think he was just brought in quite early that that week or that game. You know, so I didn't know him as too well. Um, I think, he, like you see, I think he was just brought in that game. I think that might have been his first game, and he took them out for the warm up. And sort of, we we were just about to go out for our warm up, you know. And I remember going out on the pitch and just seeing a few people around him trying to give him CPR and things like that, which isn't obviously not nice to see, like you know. And um, so, yeah, man. Going back to me Mansfield days, that was probably one of the the sad things about the time that I had there. You know, how difficult was that for Peter Shirtley? Because you know, um, he was good friends with him, he was good family friends with with Peter Wilson as well. So, and everybody that I spoke to about Shirtley has always said, you know, he's a really good man manager. He sort of shielded you a lot of the time from the negatives and from all the stuff that was going off behind the scenes, but. You know, for that to happen to to your best friend, you know, I'm on a Zoom call now with with my best friend, and I wouldn't, you know, I'd hate to think about something like that. And it must have been so difficult as as a as a group to sort of, you know, bounce back from that and and to sort of, you know, to to get through it because it really just put things in perspective for such a young group too. I don't remember too much about Peter Sheffield. I think he was quite a quite a quiet man, in anyway, you know. So I think what it, what he did was he probably grieved behind the scenes. Um, but obviously Kevin Pressman, who must have known him, I remember seeing him quite, he was quite emotional, Kevin. I think it hit Kevin Pressman quite hard, you know. Mm. Um, Peter sort of, Peter Shirtliff sort of was a little bit quieter than normal around, but, but I think he did, he sort of, uh, he sort of done his uh, grieving <clears throat> behind closed doors, you know, and, uh, but like you see, I think uh, it's not nice. I think a lot of people, you know, you'll you'll always hear stories about people losing friends and young young people dying early and, and things like that. It's just it's it, it wasn't a nice occasion, you know. I'm going to bring some light to the occasion now because this morning I messaged uh, Jules, um that you were coming on and asked him to send a little message uh, to you. Um, right. He's put, get him to sing. He was always going to the X Factor auditions every year but obviously failed. Uh, he always fancied himself as a young Robbie Williams, but sounded more like Serena Williams. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, there's one thing you're not doing. I'm not singing, right? So you're not <laughs> going to get us to sing. Um, but that's just gels all over, you know. He, me and him, we had great banter. We, we formed a great partnership. I always used to say it when we were playing and would set up a goal or whatever. I always used to say a left side, strong side, you know, and... 
and things like that. What a good relationship. And he's, he was always winding me up and I tried to do the same to him, like, you know. So it doesn't surprise me that he's trying to see us sound like Serena Williams, mate. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, but I, yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I applied for The Voice not so long ago, you know, because... Not that I was ever going to win the voice, you know, but it. But if I got on the show, it might open up um, a few yeah. more doors in the northeast, you know, and um, bigger events and things like that. And I got all the way through to the, uh, the 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 producers of the show, and I was in the final audition. And if the producers um, sort of uh, liked us, I was then in front of Tom Jones and people like that. So I got quite far, you know, and. Uh, what happened was I thought, right, this is a big audition and I practised all that week. And because obviously the voice, they like these high numbers, I've tried to do a high song and practise a high song. So I've practised it for four days, hitting the notes, thinking, great, if I can get this out of the way, I might have a chance, you know, with me story as well, professional footballer, and now obviously looking to try and uh, do something with the COVID. Um, it might work. It's a, it, it's a good story. It's not a sob story, but it's a unique story, you know. And... Um, on the day of my audition, I woke up with swollen glands because I'd practised too hard, you know, and um, <clears throat> I, I sort of give them a song, but it had to be in lower key. And uh, the producer says, oh, is that as far as your range goes, you know? And I says, <clears throat> well, no, I wanted to sing you this song today. I says, but what I've done is I've over-practised. And like anything, I suppose that was me shot and it's, uh, it hasn't materialised since, like, you know. So, <clears throat> like I say, it took, it took us about six or seven months to get to that to, to, to get to the producers, you know, and uh, everybody sort of said, oh, go for it again, go for it again. And I just thought, oh, no, I'm not doing it again. I've tried it once and uh, <clears throat> I don't think I'll be trying it again. Well, you never know. You, I mean, Giles is trying to stitch up there saying you sound a little bit like, uh, you know, Serena Williams. You said you had a really good relationship with him. He said the same on, on his episode. Um, yeah. You said that you're always trying to wind him up. Have you got anything that you want to... Th- that, that sort of springs to mind that you want to share with us that might sort of get you, maybe get you a little bit of her own back for the Serena Williams comment? No, because you know why? I'm going to say, right, I'm not stooping to his level, right? <laughs> I am going to be the bigger man. I wasn't the bigger man when I was 21, 22, but 36 now. I let him still uh, still try and act like a 12-year-old and I'll be the adult here, you know, and say, let him have that one and... Uh, no doubt I'll uh, I'll catch up with him soon, like you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, be great to catch up with him as well. Uh, top top man when yeah. we had him on as well. Really good insightful episode. Uh, that's nearly all we've got time for. We'll come on to your departure uh, in a li- in in a little while. But first, um, how much do you, do you you know you, you know you said that you wouldn't stoop to his level and uh, you know you're going to be the bigger man. But if I op- offered you the opportunity to beat him at something, would you take it? Well, of course I would, yeah. There you go. Right, well, Nathan, um, would you like to explain to Mr Rundle what magic is about to happen on this show? Oh, God. Yeah, so uh, I'm guessing you're not giving him too much warning then, I'm, I'm assuming. Oh, no. Uh, well, no, throwing it out there. Uh, yes, yeah, so we've got a, a good old Craig quiz. So, um, and, and trust me, they, they are treats. We, uh, we get them many times throughout the season. But um, the good news is for you, it's uh, it's all about you. So... Um, hopefully you'll know uh, many of the answers. Yeah, absolutely. So to fill you in, uh, every single guest we have on the show does this quiz. Like Nathan says, it's the Stag Stories, it's all about you quiz. So basically, everything we've just spoke about for the last hour or so will probably come up in this quiz. But there's a bit of pressure there because, you know, 
it's up against the clock. You're trying to score to get on the leaderboard. And for you, the added bit of pressure, you want to beat Jowls. So knowing his knowledge and knowing him a little bit, do you want to have a little bit of a guess to see where he, how many he scored in the leaderboard? Oh, God. Um, ten. He didn't score 10. We've only had one person score 10, but he did do quite well. He got eight minutes in a time of one minute 35. So the way it works, it's against the clock. Um, you will get, uh, the time will start after I've answered the first, asked the first question. If you get an answer, a question wrong, it's plus five seconds to your total time. If you pass, it's plus 10. So it's worth a go, even if you don't know. So it's, it's as simple as that. <laughs> oh, I'm going to tell you now. It, honestly, my memory's shocking, mate, so I'm going to get zero here. I'm telling you right now. Well, the lowest we've got is five in two minutes 24. So I, I guess my advice would be um, it's really about, you know, the person who gets the most correct. So I would probably take your time a little bit. But there's something else in there, Nath, isn't there, which, you know, we probably should give you should probably give a little bit of forewarning to. Yeah, um, I hope you're, you're you're good at anagrams because uh, Craig has some nasty ones, but you only get the one usually. But um, yeah, yeah they're one. normally tough ones. Yeah, it's one. <laughs> so there you go. It's nice and simple. Um, obviously, you're looking to beat. If you're looking to beat Gels, eight in uh, one minute thirty-five. We'll see what happens. Are you ready to try and take him on to see what happens? Uh, oh, I'm not beating eight, but come on then, let's go. <laughs> Here we go then. Right then, Adam Rundle, this is the It's All About You quiz, and we'll get going in three, two, one. You made your debut in January 05 against Lincoln City, but which of your teammates was sent off? Oh, um, Baptiste. Boss Cotton Palmer made a rare appearance as a player on the opening day of the 05-06 season, hobbled off injured. Who was he replaced by? <laughs> what? <laughs> hey, my God. Um, oh, Jake Buxton. <laughs> the, Stags, <laughs> the Stags reached round three of the FA Cup that season, losing 1-0 to Newcastle. Name one of the two sides the Stags knocked out on route to round three. Greer's athletic. Staying with cup runs in the League Cup, who was between the sticks and saved Stoke's second penalty in the first round shootout victory? Jason White or Kevin Pressman? Jason White. What number do you get if you add together the two shirt numbers which you wore during your time at the Stags? Oh, um, 24. Pawned Hotness. Pawned Hotness is an anagram of which of your former teammates, P-A-W-N-E-D, hotness, H-O-T-N-E-S-S? Oh, my God. Um, pass, pass, I'm going to have to pass. Name one of your the four teams you scored against as you arrived in the 04-05 season. Swansea. Which of your former teammates would go on to coach with the England setup and become known as the superior striker? Oh man, um, oh. I've only just seen an interview with him as well. <laughs> oh god, he actually played in the Newcastle game. What is his name again? Oh my god, I am terrible, honestly. Um, 
this is going to I can't answer it pass from your debut onwards which manager would score secure more wins Palmer or Shirtliff Shirtliff surely and finally how many Stags fans made the trip to Newcastle in the FA Cup 5,500 6,500 or 7,000 7,000 stop the clock Nathan give me your assessment of that I'm, I'm... <laughs> There was some pretty difficult questions in there. I mean, that, that some of them. I mean, I know we normally say we discuss them throughout the show, but I mean, the first. I think the first three. I was like, I, I didn't have a clue myself, to be honest. So, um, yeah, that that was tough. I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say that was de- definitely very tough. Mate, I... you're you're being too kind, Andy, and that was no. Honestly, I, I swear down. It was. It, I think uh, a lot of the the quizzes we've had so far. That was I one mean, of the hardest. How am I meant to know, right? They call Palmer gets taken off. I mean, how am I meant to know that? I don't know. Welcome to my world, because this is some of the quizzes that questions I get week in week out. So at least somebody else feels my pain right now. Oh, you know what? I've, to be honest, I put that quiz together about five to midnight last night after like one of the longest days at work I've had. However, um, do you know what? I think I think you did quite well. There were some tough questions in there, but we did actually you did actually mention who it was earlier in the show. I won't let it stew. I will give you the the answers you got wrong, just so you know, peace of mind. So so you know, because um, once you think about it again, you might get there, especially the the superior striker one. Um, da, 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 da. Just, and I'll do the maths on uh, your time and everything as well in just a second. Um, let's. I can tell you that you got four correct. Okay, so that's not that's not too bad. First one you got wrong. Debut in 05, It was Luke Demek who got sent off. Curveball. It's it's one of those. If we'd have probably spoken about your debut, we, we might have. You might have got there. The Carton Palmer substitution. You mentioned him earlier. He lived with you at the Byron for a little bit. It was Giles Coke. Um, again, there you go. Um, then you passed on the anagram, and it was a hard anagram. But Nathan got it last night. I, I always yeah, test them in the group chat. Nathan got it. <laughs> Nathan never gets them. Go on then, Nathan. Who was it? Yeah, I was, I was buzzing when I got that one. I, I don't know if it's because of it, a bit of a dodgy. It's, it's a dodgy one. I don't know why I got there, but um, that was Stephen Dawson. Yeah, Stephen Dawson. That one. Stephen Dawson. Yeah, go on, hey. Uh, name one of the four teams you scored against. Uh, you said Swansea. Could have had Berry, Grimsby, Yeovil, or Boston. Um, where else did we get to? Uh, then it was the uh, how many Stags fans? Uh, that was five thousand five hundred. And then this is the the one, the the one which you know you were really really good about. And I think if you'd have taken maybe three more seconds, I think you'd have got there. Alan Russell. Yeah. Was the superior striker. I, I had no idea with that one. I mean, he's done well for himself, hasn't he? He has, because, you know, bless him. He, he, obviously, you know, he's forged a good career, but I wouldn't have given him the, the, the title superior striker when he was at Mansfield. Oh, no, definitely not. But, uh, like you say, look at who he's working alongside yeah. now. That is very, very good. He's an assistant manager somewhere now, isn't he? I dropped out of the England setup um six months or so ago. Um some off the pitch stuff, and then uh, I think he's an assistant manager now, somewhere uh, Scotland, somewhere I think, somewhere like that. Right. But there you go. Um, so the bad news is um, that unfortunately <laughs> you are the rock bottom of the leaderboard, and I'm sure um, Gels will be, uh, you know, delighted that he's 
he's he's beating you on that. Um, what's killed you with the time? To be honest, is the two passes because it's ten seconds that we have to add. You see, so you've had a you know a good twenty seconds there with the two passes. Uh, total time, including penalties, of three minutes and ten seconds. So the passes have really really killed you on that one. What are you more gutted about? Being rubbish at quizzes or the fact that Jellyman's got one up on you? I think they're both on Paul and they're really <laughs> I mean to be honest honestly as soon as you turned around and said oh, honestly I, I only remember the, the sort of the big occasions I mean trying to remember who, who I scored against I mean people I see interviews and people can rule off who they've scored against everything and I've sort of like sit there and go my god I've actually forgot half of them you know what I mean so I knew as soon as you said it's a quiz about you I thought oh, I'm not doing well yeah like I do it <laughs> Uh, I, I guarantee, though, as we continue to do this, this series, I guarantee you won't be bottom for long because there will be people that, um, you know, we, we've we've had. I mean, to be honest, Nate, last week when we had Andy White and we probably thought that he'd it'd be quite a, a low down one because it was so long ago and that just surprised us, didn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, the thing is, uh, on that leaderboard we've got at the moment, there are a lot of sort of local players, so we are trying to go back yeah. further in time. So he's, they are going to score higher, uh, inevitably, so... Uh, like I said, I think it probably will will change a little bit as as we start diving through the years a little bit more. But um, yeah, I'd like I'd, I'm not just saying it to uh, to make you feel better. It genuinely was a tough one. I'm normal, so I don't get the questions beforehand. I play apart from the the anagram because he threw that one in, in the mess group chat last night. But I try and play along as I go along, and um, I don't think I would have got any any more than five myself then as well. So um and, and i've tried to do a little bit of research so so that's yeah um honestly tough tough quiz i've just realized the feature we need to do on this quiz we don't no, no longer need to, to to make it just the player we need to do it as a head-to-head and uh, and see how many times nathan gets beat but uh, there you go you know no, what? i'm off then you, well, that's <laughs> it you had it was a great effort and we really do appreciate you taking part um other names that you might have played alongside, uh, John Delaye, he did really well. He got uh, 9 in 143. Uh, Mickey Bolding did well, uh, 8 in 138. Uh, Richie Barker, 7 in 137. And then Adam Murray, uh, 6 in 154. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say it's a respectable score. It, it could have been worse. When you said that you're rubbish at quizzes, at one point I was thinking that we're going to end up on like five, ten minutes here, but... Uh, a respectable score, all the same. So there you I'll go. be honest with you, I'm over the moon before, so you know, <laughs> it's a win win for me. There you go. Uh, right then, let's wrap things up. Um, really appreciate your time tonight, Adam. Uh, let's go back to uh, to the end then um, for you. Obviously, it was just a season and a half in the end. It feels like a, a lot longer, and I, I genuinely uh, think that a lot of Stags fans, myself and Nathan included, would have liked it to have been um, a lot longer. Would you have liked to to, to, stayed, to have stayed a couple more seasons or had you sort of made your mind up to uh, to move on and pursue new opportunities at that point? Well, I, I, like going back to the Newcastle game, you know, after the Newcastle game, Peter Shirtlift had turned around and said, right, we need to sit down and extend your contract, you know. Um, I think obviously you knew the interest that was there and and uh, I don't know what happened to between. I saw. I, I, I sort of suppose that my form dropped off a bit, you know. And uh, towards the end of the season, he changed his mind, you know. But he said at the end he wasn't going to offer us anything, you know. And uh, I would have liked to stayed because obviously I bought, like I say, me me flat was there, and I started to settle and things like that. I bought me house and. Um, but in hindsight, you know things like you say things uh, happen for a reason and. 
Um, my next club was Rochdale, where I spent four years, and they were very, very successful years. You know, we played in the playoffs twice. Um, I got to Wembley to score, and I scored at Wembley, and um, we got promoted uh, to League One. And and who's to say if I'd stayed at Mansfield, then things might not have happened. You know, and like I, you know, it's I would have liked to stay at. You know, I was settling and things like that. But on on the flip side, I obviously went to Rochdale and. Uh, like I say, I had a had a great four years there as well, you know, so I can't be too disheartened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for anybody that might be interested in, in property, I mean, Nathan's got a nice little property portfolio, so this is actually a good opportunity to maybe try and uh, add a property to Nathan's portfolio. Uh, try and sell it then. Whereabouts is the, the, the flat in, in the local area? What are we looking at bedroom-wise? What we what we... Uh, uh, this is your opportunity to, to sell to a property mogul of the Mansfield area, Mr. Nathan Edge. I mean, he, he's going to need a flat now just to get away from a screaming child. So I think, I yeah. So, you know, this prime opportunity, mate. Um, well, it's uh, like you say, it's, it's oh God, how, how, it's five minutes from the city centre. So it's it's ideal location wise, you know. Um, it's in a nice little culinary sack. Um, the, the, the actual street's called Mount View Close. Um, and it's a two-bedroom flat. Um, to to be honest, I mean, as soon as I put it up for rent, I've put it up for rent three times and they've been snapped up rental-wise. So I thought it would have been a good investment for someone, you know. But it's been on the market for about a month now, you know, and uh, it's just an ideal property if somebody's looking to invest to, to rent or if somebody's just looking to, to live. I had, had a, some, some good memories there, you know, and it was a, a lovely little flat. It's just a shame. Just a shame that I can't put it on wheels and drag it back to Newcastle, or, or I would have kept it. You know, I, I just think the three three and a half hours that it, that is a wait. It's just unfortunate. So I thought, well, I'll just try and just get it off my hands. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've missed a golden opportunity there. I mean, I will do it for you, people of Mansfield. If you want to buy a nice little two bed flat, um, which you know, it's been looked after over the years and, and things like that as well. You could yeah. be buying a two-bed flat from the person who got Carlton Palmer sacked. So I think that needs to go in the advert. You need to have a word with the estate agent, and, and there you go. Um, I asked you, I asked you uh, in the in in the chat before we sort of started this if you had any little stories in that. You've dropped a couple in for us already. Is there any other ones which you want to throw in before we uh, before we sign off? A nice little way to uh, to bring the podcast to an end. Um, no, not really. I mean, the, the honestly, like I could write a book with the stories that I've got, but a lot of the stories probably won't interest uh, Mansfield fans. You know, that it's, it's, it, I've got a lot of stories from other clubs. You know, and crazy, crazy stories. You know, with us being there for a year and a half, you know, we're, we're, to be honest, with a, with a young group, we did. We're, there was quite uh, was quite a sensible group, really. You know, there wasn't too much of a crazy gangness that I can throw too many stories at you. Um, just them, them odd couple that I've that I threw in there about Carlton and and me obviously needing a number two and etc. You know, and I suppose we'll leave it at that one there for you. There you go. Last question uh, from me before we give you the final word. Um, a producer's been on the phone. It's a hypothetical situation. He's interested in the football side of uh, of the story about wanting to get an ex footballer on. It's the Euros coming up as well. You know, there's always a bit of a football song um, which, which comes out. Which Mansfield players from your time at the club are you picking up the phone to, based on their initiation song or them singing in the showers and stuff around the around the dressing room? Which players are you picking up the phone to and saying, "Look, 
we need to put a record together. I think we've got a good chance of like winning X Factor or BGT here. Who are you picking up and, and who's taking to the mic? Are you including Gels in there or is he like is he like Serena's sister? Well, Gels will be in there, but obviously what I would do with Gels is he'd be me little uh, like me back and singer, but I'd make sure he's in a little, little frilly dress and try to make him look stupid like, you know, but uh, I think, uh, oh God, I think Simon Brown. Can you remember Simon Brown? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we keep, we he, need he, to get he him likes, Yeah, he likes, he likes the, uh, to, to have a little dance around the change room to his rap music and uh, R&B stuff, you know, so I, I can remember him being not a bad little singer, like, you know, so, um, so, like, maybe me and him could share the song, would have Jellyman looking like a fool, you know, um, I don't know, trying to think of, to some other lads, you know, I mean, Richie Bark, I always thought he was quite a smart looking guy, you know, just for the eye candy, you know, we'll maybe bring him along for the girls, like, you know, so maybe it's the four, we trying not to include too many people because obviously I, I want the limelight to be about me, you know. And if you needed a manager, obviously you just get caught in because at least you know a very good way of being able to spy and find out what record deal was on the table and what percentage you'd be taking. All you need to do, nip into his dressing room and drop him. Job done. Exactly. You're right. <laughs> it's been absolutely brilliant. A really good laugh tonight. Really, really enjoyed it. And thanks very much for your time. Uh, we always give the last word to our guests. Uh, so, Adam Rundle, this is your opportunity to uh, send a message to Stags fans and, and, and have the final reflection on your time as a Manfield Town player. Um, yeah, just um, I loved every minute of it. It was it's just a fantastic uh, club, and to be honest, I wish I wish uh, Mansfield all the success in the world, and hopefully this year guys will have a successful season. And thanks for listening. You you were kind. You know I know obviously like you like we mentioned. You know Wayne Corden being a fan's favourite, but it wasn't too long before you 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 took us in and made us feel very very welcome and very very special. So I thank you for that. Nath, what an absolute corker of an episode. Getting Carlton Palmer sacked and then hiding in his cubicle. What a guy. <laughs> I know. absolutely love that. Um, oh, they, they, those two stories in particular, absolutely uh, superb. I mean, I can't decide which I actually like the most. You know, I think the, the whole, obviously the corner flag story um, is superb because as we um, as, as we all know, Colton Palmer wasn't the the most popular amongst the uh, Stags faithful. So obviously that was uh, a superb result. You know, he, he could have pinned one in the you know in the in the box and we could have equalised and you know and, and he would have felt like a hero in that that moment. But actually, in hindsight, what he did was even better, even if it wasn't deliberate. And do you know what um, he said in the episode, didn't he, as well, that for years he's felt guilty about essentially getting the manager of the sacks. He's coming at half-time and gone, if one of my players does that, and that's a rubbish impression, but um, <laughs> if one of my players does that, I'm, I'm not going to be a manager. And he's felt guilty about costing a man his job for years, and yet it was probably yeah. the highlight of our season. What a, what a yeah, hero. Yeah, I mean... It's- I think this is the difference, isn't it, between sort of fans and and and, and the players? I guess, yeah. By the sounds of it, he, he did have a good relationship with with Carlton. Well, up to that point, anyway. By the sounds of it, um, so I guess when you look at it on the terms, that he, yeah, he kind of got another good person that, that well, not the sack because he resigned, you know, famously over the radio. But um, yeah, maybe potentially lost him his job. But I mean, 
regardless of that, whether he kicked the corner flag or not, it was probably going to happen anyway. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily, uh, it certainly wasn't his fault. So he shouldn't, shouldn't feel a guilt. And actually now he might realise that um, it can maybe take a bit of pride out of that. Because I think a lot of us will be thankful for that. But Absolutely. no, that was that was a great story. But I mean, the, the other story as well about being a, uh, sort of stuck in the referee's toilet. How good was that? It's, it's a bit like a bit of, um, you know, a bit of James, well, not James Bond, but some sort of spy detective stuff, isn't it? Even though, again, it was all accidental. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. Talk about wrong place, wrong time, but maybe for the for the Stag Stories episode, right place, right time as well. Uh, we'll have more Stag Stories episodes coming soon as well. Uh, we mentioned at the top of the show about getting people's opinions and, and things like that. We've got a fantastic um, potential live event coming up. We know it's going to happen. Um, the player in question has agreed to do it. We're going to reveal who that is next week. Um, just what would you say to, to people to encourage them to go on and, and sort of answer those questions to, to enable us to uh, to make such a difference and, and put together this mammoth night because if people have loved the stories today I'm sure this person in particular will have a number of them as well oh absolutely um I mean if anybody who's listening and attended the uh, the live night the legends live night we did um was it go like a couple of years now 2018 uh, yeah yeah, 20, 2018. So, God, that was a long time ago. So, yeah, we had the lineups of uh, Paul Cox, Adam Murray, uh, and, and Richie Bark, of course, as well, wasn't it? So, um, you know, and that was a absolutely superb, superb night. And, uh, you know, I think you know, the one we have in the planning could certainly by far equal that and maybe even better it. So, um, you know, we're working hard. And I think, especially after the year we've had, uh, places are starting to slowly open up again a little yeah. bit so how much better would it be if we can get it done live in person um so you know but we do need do need the feedback and uh, we need to know what what people want so but it should be a cracker yeah absolutely you should get yourself uh, on that link it literally takes two minutes um, to do it lots of you have done it already which is great but we need as much feedback as we can so all the details you need are in the description uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this stag stories episode more stag stories to come in the coming weeks so make sure you check out our social media um, and our website uh, for all of that good stuff as well um Nath, Sorry, mate. Looks like you, you, you're off. You, I'm going to have to release you back into the world of, uh, of being dad. Maybe you can take some uh, some some advice from Adam Runner. Maybe just go and lock yourself in a toilet for a little bit. Or, you know, he has got a flat for sale and, you know, dad pad and all of that. Well, it, it sounds like good. He, he tried to sell it. He sold it a little bit to me as well about the old investment idea. So who knows? There you go. I don't think you'd be using it as investment, though. You would 100% be using it as like a, a podcast hub and a, and a hideaway because it might have been. It might be easy so far. What is he? Three, nearly four weeks old at the, t- the time of recording this. It might be, be easy sailing so far, but um, you know, everybody is saying it's going to get worse. So yeah, no, I don't. I'm, I'm not appreciating that as well. So uh, yeah, cheers. cheers there you well. go. Uh, that's all we've got time for. Thanks so much for listening. Please give it a share, a like, leave a comment if you want. Do all the stuff in the description. If you've enjoyed the episode, uh, please donate to our coffee page. All the proceeds from that go to the Mind Mental Health charity. This has been Stag Stories with Adam Rundle. I've been Craig Priest. Nathan Edge has been Nathan Edge. Adam Rundle has been hiding in Carlton Palmer's toilet. Until next time, goodbye. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. 
Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.